I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's happiest podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George Demorellis. Uh, this is the show where we ask people, what's your story and what does it say about you? On the show today, we have the co-host of How Goods Footy and Scaredy Boys, Sean Carney. Hello, Sean. How are you doing? Hello, George. Thank you for having me, mate. I'm a, I'm a fan of books, so this is going to be fun. Really? It sounds like I've got a bit of a challenge from the start. <laughs> and I'm okay. up for it, Sean. I've been waiting. I've been waiting right. for this. <laughs> um, well, okay, that actually does make me rate your favorite, which is The Snow Leopard. By Peter Matheson. Um, now, I'll be honest, uh, I haven't read the book. I did a quick uh, Wikipedia thing of it just so I could be at least kind of aware of what was going on. And it sounds bloody right up my alley. I've got to be honest. It sounds amazing. But if you want to give a little summary right now, what it's about, let everyone know, that'd be good. Well, this, I mean, I, I'd be surprised if many of the listeners would have read it because it's, it's quite an obscure book. Oh, um, sorry now. Okay. <laughs> well, you're, I mean, I, you're really I say trying obscure. to establish your book authority early there. <laughs> no, no, no. All no, right, no. he's just whipping it out, and that's the sound of him just whipping it out and putting it on the table. Everyone, <laughs> it's probably that. like <laughs> for anyone who does love the book, they're probably like, "You idiot! It's not obscure. It's quite popular. It won lots of awards and this sort of thing." So it came out in the seventies, and it is uh, it's a travel story, um, a true account written by Peter Matheson, who uh, was a sort of an explorer, really, an explorer and a writer. And he teamed up with a field biologist named George Scheller. And together they uh, journeyed high up into the mountains in Nepal, sort of northwestern parts of Nepal, to this place called the Crystal Mountains, where uh, Scheller, the biologist, wants to study this rare sheep called the Baral, which is a blue sheep. So that's sort of their main quest, but very much, I guess, the B story of it, which um, becomes the big thing, is they, they're hoping to find the snow leopard, um, which is a, an... A, well, certainly in the 70s, a mysterious animal that uh, at that point in time, only two Westerners had ever seen like live. I think one had been captured and things like that. So people might have seen it in like a zoo type environment, but only two Westerners had ever seen them out in the wild in the natural habitat. So that oh, wow. was like the absolute gold standard. If we can see a snow leopard, that would just be incredible. And that's what really drives Peter Matheson. Um, he's a fascinating character. Peter Matheson himself. Yeah. I mean, his his whole thing is part of him is just absolutely destroyed by grief because a year prior to accepting to go on the the, the journey into the mountains, his wife had died from uh, cancer, I believe, and that's a real crux of the story. Like it, it's it's very much it's him on the journey, but it's constant flashbacks to her in her sort of final days, and that's the like emotional undercurrent of the story, which I really love. Yeah, yeah, that's be- that sounds yeah. beautiful. Okay, it's a slog. It's an absolute. Like emotionally, you mean? Uh, yeah, and physically, like you're tired when you read it, just because of the 
what these guys are going through. It's oh, like right. uh, it's like uncharted territory for non-Nepalese people. All right, so so but they they've got they must have a guide or something, right? Yeah, they have like Sherpas and, and people with them. But just them surviving um, the elements and But it's it's not like um like I've done some trekking myself. It's not like there's a path. They they're cutting paths and going through. It's it's really cool. If it was ever like going to be a movie, it'd be Have you seen um The Lost City of Zed? Uh yes, and funny enough that was one of the uh book choices of Jackson Bailey our first guest as well. Okay, there you go. So yeah, yeah. it would be it, it would be like a real hard slog like that. It's just like, yeah. Uh, it's it's actually insane what they went through. Yeah. Parts of it are difficult to read. As in like, it was there... <laughs> so again, referencing back to the discussion of Jackson, he seemed to really enjoy the body horror elements a lot of the time. Sometimes on these things, people can really hurt themselves and contract oh, yeah. diseases I mean, and things like it's, that. It, it's probably not as extreme as where Jackson's mind goes with these <laughs> things, but... Um, just things like, you know, pe- these people are trekking all day and, like, they take their boots off at the end of the day and it's just blood pouring out of their boots and things oh. like that. Yeah, it's it's grim. And, and and you've done trekking like that? Well, yeah, interestingly, I, I read this book while I was in Nepal trekking. Oh, really? Um, that's the only reason probably why I discovered it because I was, I was going to be – this is going back about five years. I was going over there for about two or three months. Um, to do some trekking. This is when I was actually a lot fitter <laughs> than I am now, unfortunately. Um, so I, I researched. I I knew I had to pack light because we weren't getting Sherpas or anything like that. We were, just me and my friend. We were just going to carry everything on our backs, which is probably about twenty five kilos each. <laughs> Recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah, there was it was an adventure. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I normally, if I travel, I'd want to bring a lot of books to read. But this time, I I kept it to two books because I knew that. I was going to have to carry every single thing myself. So I looked for a, like a Nepalese one or a mountain type story. And this one sort of came up as like on the top of everybody's list. So I, I checked that one out. And this, the other book I brought with me was American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Okay. Which yeah. is a, a thick, a bloody thick book. To this day, I, I haven't finished that book. What? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I read about 200 pages when I was in Nepal. I ended up reading because like when you trek around, you kind of swap books with people. Mm-hmm. So someone had given me um, some book by Marcus Aurelius. like Meditations. Ph- yeah, yeah. Philosophies on life and everything. Mm-hmm. And I just ended up reading that and just forgot about American Gods. I'll get back to it one day. Yeah. Because okay. I do love Neil Gaiman. He's a great writer. Yeah, yeah. And no, I use uh, American Gods was uh, very visually rich in terms of writing. Uh, he knows how to – he's really good with his mythology in that yeah, um, sense. Yeah, uh, meditations. Uh, well, if I'm guessing it's or something along those lines of Marcus Aurelius. That's that's funny because that's actually probably merges. It sounds like that actually suits more um, Snow Leopard. And this is me making a lot of assumptions here. But it like from my gathering of this book, it is quite meditative in how it talks about like what's happening. Like as in, it's not just about guys climbing a mountain he's also looking back on the relationship he had and also some more stuff like that thematically like as in maybe about the search for the snow leopard what that means or something along those lines yeah i mean it's very like thematically they drive that that search for the snow leopard is sort of the search for meaning in life i guess um and i i've always looked at this book as kind of like the five stages of grief. That's structurally how the book feels to me. Okay. So eventually Matheson has to reach a point of acceptance. Mm-hmm. And part of that is – and I, 
Well, you don't mind if I spoil aspects of the book, I guess. Um, no, I don't. So I'll just put a warning out there for anyone. I, I have personally, this hasn't actually come up yet where I've talked about it, but basically my view with spoilers is they're not as big a deal as people sometimes. Anything good is going to be good whether you spoil it or not. Let me put it that way. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, certain stories you don't want to ruin. But I don't feel like this isn't the kind of story that matters that much as well for the spoiler. Well, with this, other ones. with this one, I, I copped, I guess, the big spoiler on the plane ride over to Nepal. I read the introduction. Uh, some other famous ah. author had done an intro for the book. <laughs> what is with introductions giving away... Everything in a book, every time. You can't read introductions ever if you don't want the book ruined. <laughs> I've learned that now because in the first paragraph of his introduction, he says, Matheson never sees a snow leopard. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> that was almost enough for me to put the book down. In fact, I don't think I, I think I put it down on the plane ride. I didn't start reading it until I got up like in the mountains. And I was like, I'll give that a go again. Because that really annoyed me. I would have thought that that, I guess I'm more of like a tradition. When I'm looking for a story, I'm looking for like a journey probably like that Pixar traditional story. Yeah, yeah. And to me, the traditional trajectory of the snow leopard would be man sees snow leopard <laughs> like, and completes his quest. But then the more I think about it, because this is true of every Pixar movie, the character always sets out wanting something mm. and they never get that. But what they end up getting is the thing that they need. And that is exactly what happened with this book. And that's one of the big reasons I love it. He doesn't see the snow leopard, but he's absolutely okay with it. It's one of the most beautiful parts of the book when he's he's talking to a, a Tibetan man who lives in a monastery and this guy's got no legs and he's the happiest guy he's ever met and he's talking to him and he can't, Matheson can't wrap his head around it. He's like, how can you be so happy and accept this life you have? And the guy's just like, look at the, you know, look at this beautiful place I live in. Like what is not to be happy about? And then Matheson says, I haven't seen the snow leopard and life is beautiful or something like that. And it's just like, that just nails what the story is for me. Nice. Okay. Well, so um, so here's actually to go off. It's funny you had that situation. We had it ruined before even starting. Like looking because one of the things that I, I think when you have it spoiled, it actually means that you're no longer running to see the end. You're, you're just reading it for the experience. So it actually, in that sense, it actually makes you enjoy the book itself more because you're no longer like, you, you know, that's not going to happen. So you're reading all this and there's a sense of, you know, you know what that part of your brain's not getting occupied anymore. So you can just kind of pay attention to what's yep. happening there. Um, did you feel like that helped in a way almost? Like, is it not knowing I the th ending? I think, I think definitely. Yeah. I, I, I think one of the reasons I, I went back into reading it because I was having such a hard time with where I was trekking. Like I'd okay. reached a point where physically and mentally was starting to sort of break down a bit. And I reading this book and seeing him go through a pretty similar thing, it, de that definitely helped me. So I had, I, it was just probably the reason why this book stands out as one of, as probably my favorite book is I just had this weird sort of, it felt profound when I was in the moment. It just felt weird to be experiencing nearly the same thing as the protagonist of the book you're reading in the same country, in the same spot, like a fish out of water type thing that really added to it. And yeah, so knowing that, knowing that it wasn't going to end with him finding a snow leopard, um, if anything that helped, cause I was like, well, I don't know what the hell they're going to do now. Like what the hell is he doing? Where's this going to go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Like as in, it, it wasn't about that. So you're actually just reading for like the experience. Yeah. So you're just physically more getting wrecked by the experience you're having there in Nepal. Yeah, definitely. Did you, did you have any emotional stuff going on at the same time? Kind of similar? Yeah, no, I didn't have a wife that had died a year <laughs> before or anything like that. I was pretty carefree. You're taking some very literal meanings of what I'm saying, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I was, pretty, I was in a pretty good place. I was in the middle of doing a master's in mm. screenwriting. And no, I was, I was pretty happy. And it had been... The trek I was doing was to Mount Everest, which had sort of long been on my bucket list. It was like a thing that I dreamed of sort of going, not to the top of the mountain because who's got $100,000 and might die doing that. I just wanted to go to base camp. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw that. Did you see that photo last year with the people lining up to get a photo on top of Everest? It's such a bottleneck. It's ridiculous. Imagine that. You climb the mountain. You got to wait in line behind like 200 people for a photo. That is the worst thing ever. I remember growing up and Everest had such an allure to it because it was like this incredible thing. But the more you look into it and you see pictures like that and you're like, well, that's just bullshit because that doesn't even feel like nature anymore. It just feels like you're lining up to buy something at a shop, Mm. which is kind of what it is. I mean, companies now charge like a hundred grand for you to go and do it. And then there is literally no guarantee. You could get like 10 meters from the top and the weather suddenly changes and you just have to come down. You've spent a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I don't know. But people who go to the top really fascinate me because you wonder what they're doing it for because i did some pretty cool things on my trek but what i found was when i came back home you get like 15 minutes to talk to someone about it and then it's like all right what else is going on in life like no one cares so if you just want to go to everest and be like yeah i went to everest no one gives a fuck you mm. get probably like 10 or 15 minutes less probably and then it's like whatever what else have you done right i mean yeah. uh, you <laughs> Okay, got to be honest, you've obviously never had to fill up an hour-long stand-up comedy show, but uh, I like where your head's at, because <laughs> it's true, <laughs> some of them should be 15 minutes. Um, did you? Did, so, why did you do it then? Or do, have you always done trekking your whole life? Uh, no, so I, I've basically, I started getting really fit, and which in itself is quite, as it can be a difficult thing to do, and the thing that motivated me, I read a, a different book, I read Into Thin Air by John Cracker, I don't know if you've heard of that one? No. That's another true account. I think it was set in 96, which was at the time the most deadly day on Mount Everest. I think 13 people died in one day. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Which has since been beaten. They've had avalanches and stuff in recent years, unfortunately. Nice. Um, It was fun to break records. But yeah, I I was reading that book while I was like peddling on my exercise bike just for like something to keep my mind stimulated while I was doing these Ks. And the more I got into it, the more that sort of became the goal. I don't know. That was like when I reach my fitness goal, I can go to Everest. And that just became – I got kind of consumed by that. Right. So that wasn't actually the reason you started trying to get fit though? No. Um, no. So why I, did- don't think it, I don't think I had trekking in mind. Honestly, I, th- I was thinking about this the other day. When I started to get fit, I think it was literally – I bumped into my dad one morning and he was just like – he just commented. He was like, oh, have you lost some weight? You're looking good. And I hadn't been doing anything to achieve that. And I was just like, oh, no, you're cool. And that was just like a nice feeling. And then like literally that day, I just started working out. So I, I don't really think there was anything deep to it. It was just kind of like my dad paid me a compliment and I was like, that was nice. And then I just started working out. And then my main form of exercise was um, exercise bike. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon I was getting a bit bored on there. So I started like watching things on TV and then eventually I was reading books and then eventually I read about Everest and then just got like hooked on the idea of going there. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So you'd actually be reading the physical book while you were writing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, look, 
dad paying you a compliment could also mean so much. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As well. I don't know what your relationship is like. So, you know, that's. <laughs> no, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> He's just a happy guy. He's like, hey, you look no, it's not. It's, it's not like abusive dad who suddenly said one nice thing in his life and it was like, whoa, flick the switch. No, it was just like, I don't know, just like a throwaway comment. And I was just like, yeah, what the hell? I'll get on the bike. Yeah, no, I, I, and then I, it, I know exactly that. And then I, I got completely consumed by it and started reading about mountains and yeah, and that became the goal. Okay. Um, almost to the detriment of like, I remember the day that we, we got to base camp and physically exhausted because it's about i think we were about 5300 meters up something like that and i suddenly didn't have any more life goals <laughs> like i was very in that moment very aware of that and then i was really flat the next day and then just i mean i've possibly been flat for 5 years like i i haven't set anything as hardcore goal as i did with oh, i want to go to everest as clearly Probably, yeah, I haven't said anything as clear. You have like general goals and stuff, but I haven't been like probably that motivated since then. And it's quite sad when I was thinking about it. <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> That's Yeah, well, why? Because you were doing your screenwriting course and that finished and then you just started working. Yeah, and then it just, I don't know, you just sort of get into uh, the rut of life, I think. Not that it's always a rut. Like I'm quite happy. I've got certain things happening that I'm really happy about. And But yeah, I've, I haven't been as like passionately single-mindedly focused on something since then and i i didn't expect like if you'd asked me what my feeling would be when i got to there to base camp i wouldn't have thought that i would immediately turn to oh fuck (laughs) what the hell am i gonna do here yeah okay yeah it's just like really defeated the next day and i shouldn't be i'm in like one of the most beautiful places on earth and like I think I was distracted. I remember I, like, I, I fell down a glacier the very next day and sort of hurt my knee. Not like, not bad enough that I couldn't keep going, but fuck, it was a pain in the ass for the rest of the trip. And yeah, it was so weird because the day of getting to the camp was probably one of the best days of my life. And then the next day after was just so fucked. I was like, I was really? like- just mentally broken at the end of that day because we would we had to cross like a few different mountain passes and there was just ice and glaciers and yeah it fell hurt my knee by the end of the day i was just like i'm i'm mentally and physically ready to go home now but we were like stuck up in the mountains and and i was in that country for probably another month <laughs> like, oh wow okay yeah, yeah that's a long time to go from that so did you have yeah. like you were just like oh so just missing home or like yeah, yeah. just tight it was like you had well, your goal you never thought about coming back i guess i never thought about yeah i know that sounds kind of morbid <laughs> yeah. if i was like oh, i'm just going there to die or something but no i never felt yeah i was so like fixated on doing it that i didn't i didn't spare a thought at all for what it was going to feel like when it was finished which is interesting because that, that like, I, that's a very interesting uh, as like a as because people wouldn't think that but i totally understand because you had a goal that you were aiming for and especially something so clean cut, <laughs> so yeah. so f- like definitive that you clearly have to sweat for and then get like I mean, that's that is that is rare. Um, did you never feel like before then, like whether it was in school or university, you ever felt like you ever had a goal that you were kind of like? I think it's like you said. I think that was of all the goals I probably had. That's been the most like clear cut one. Like I've, I mean, I've been to film school. I've been to screenwriting and stuff like that. I. I have like that goal of like, oh, cool. It'd be great to win an Oscar and stuff like that. It'd be great to get into Hollywood and do movies. But they're like, 
goals that are, you know, I mean, maybe one day you get there, but there's every chance you don't. Whereas, yeah, with this one, it was just such a, it was pretty crystal clear. It was all within my power to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really weird. I haven't thought about this a lot until I was, you know, said I'll come on this show and I was thinking about Snow Leopard and, and what it meant and everything. And I was like, oh, yeah, fuck. <laughs> Fucking hell. I didn't have the Peter Matheson, uh, the grief of losing a loved one thing, but I probably lost my <laughs> lost my dreams. <laughs> well, it sounds like you saw a snow leopard, <laughs> and it was worse. Oh man, I really there was there were times on that trip where I like really thought I was going to see a snow leopard, so I was disappointed not to actually, <laughs> because nice. I'd read a lot about them. You you kind of you won't see them under five thousand meters altitude. So there were only a few times when I had the opportunity to sort of be up that high to kind of do it. But um, the day we did base camp was the day I thought I was going to see one mm. because we did base camp and then we hopped over and did this other mountain, which we didn't plan to do. So I didn't have my torch or headset or anything. And then it got dark and we were like, you should, if you're above 5,000, you don't want to be out after dark because we like nearly froze. And we're going back through and I'm holding on to the back of the guy in front of me because he's got a little torch because he thought to bring one. Mm. And we're, we're getting through here. And I just like thought, you know, when you're like, when it's dark and you're thinking there's a monster there or something and just at every little sound, I thought there might be a snow leopard somewhere. But I don't know. I, I haven't seen one. I probably uh, never will. I know th- I know they have them in the zoos. Yeah, like, exactly. I was going to say, they'll be in zoos. Probably watch Tiger King. I'm sure there's someone there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Melbourne Zoo have one. Yeah. But- Sort of out of principle, I'll I'll never go there and look at it. Well, it's just not going to have the same kind of beauty. I think. Yeah, I don't want to see one behind a behind a glass cage. You know, yeah. If yeah. I could see one in the wild, far out, that'd be awesome. Well, the level but, of yeah. achievement with that, yeah. Have you done yeah. much traveling? Um, yeah, like I, I started pretty late. I didn't go overseas until I was twenty one. I went to Ireland with my family. That's where my family is from, way way back. Um, we just assumed that dad had the whole thing planned and then we got to Ireland and dad was like, right, what do we want to do? And we're like, what the fuck, mate? <laughs> what the hell? So we just stumbled around. Turned out dad wanted to go there to find the graves of his ancestors, <laughs> which was which was interesting. And did you find yeah. them? Uh, no. We He pinpointed this, you know, have you been to Ireland? It's sort of broken into counties. So we're uh, yeah, from yeah. County Tipperary. Okay. And we, within County Tipperary, which is in the south, is a the tiniest town. It's called one word, two mile Boris. It's just like a two mile little village. And yeah, we were in a cemetery there for like two hours and dad was just looking at every gravestone trying to find Carney. And we're just like, Dad, can we fucking go? Come on, man. It was a bit grim. Right. We did go to the we went to the Guinness factory and I typed in Carney because you can do like a family search there. It came up with a bunch of convicts and then dad didn't really talk about it anymore. <laughs> Well, who else are you going to be related to? Like, seriously. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? What did you think was going to happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, far, if you've come from there, like, as in, so your your, your background's, like, pretty deep Australian then? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, Dad's, uh, his probably great-great-grandfather was Irish, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow. You're deep. But Dad, th- Dad thinks he's very Irish. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but that's so Like, far. even <laughs> when we came back from Ireland, Dad, for, like, I reckon for a year, would buy he would buy Guinness and I would just always see them sitting in the fridge. Like he almost never touched them. I think he just liked the idea of buying Guinness. Look, let's not knock that. We've all been there. All right. We've all gone to Ireland and been like, you know what? (laughs) Guinness is delicious. But then you learn how they're meant to pour it and they're meant to pause and then pour it some more. And you're like, yeah, that's how you drink Guinness. And you walk around (laughs) telling everyone about that. So 
Yeah. I, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. We've all been there. Uh, so, yeah, Ireland was cool. I've also been to, um, I mean, just last year, I went to New Zealand, South Island, and sort of did a road trip around there. But prior to that, I've also been to um, uh, Germany and Finland and Romania. It's an interesting combination of countries. Was that on your own or with the family as well? Uh, that was with my girlfriend. She planned the trip. Um, she kind of planned it for me sort of thing because that year I had, I'd written a play about Dracula. Um, so she thought, oh, we'll go to Romania. You can go to Dracula, yeah, Castle Dracula and all that sort of thing, which is pretty good. And I'm also very interested in sort of history, so World War II history. So we went to Germany and then um, we've been very keen to see the Northern Lights. So we went to Finland and went on a few different things to try and find the Northern Lights, which is kind of like me trying to find a snow leopard. Did you see him? Uh, we did not. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, but, but it's, it's a podcast of disappointment <laughs> and I'm loving it. <laughs> no, but it's it's funny because I, she was really, it was it was my birthday and it was the last night we were going to be there. So she'd booked one of those bus tours where they oh. drive you out into the dark forest and tell you a story and you look up at the sky and you see nothing. And, um, and I... She was really disappointed for me because she thought, oh, I just wanted you to see it, blah, blah, blah. But I, I actually recited the passage from Snow Leopard to her that night because <laughs> I was like, this feels very much like like we're in search of it and we're so consumed by seeing the Northern Lights. But when you strip it back, it doesn't matter that we didn't see them because we've had such an awesome holiday. Like we've had such a great time. So it doesn't matter. And I very much felt very Peter Matheson in that moment. I was like, this is fine. This is cool. That is so good. Quoting literature, that is to cover. (laughs) (laughs) One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> I don't know if she appreciated it. She was probably like, oh, I just spent fucking $400 on this. <laughs> nah, what do you mean? Yeah. It's your birthday. No, nah, it never works like that. Yeah. Birthdays are always for other yeah, people. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So she didn't come to Nepal because you went together back then. No, nah, I met her after that. You met yeah. her after Nepal, right? How long ago was the Nepal trip? Uh, it would have been five years, I think. Okay, so it's been a, so it's been a while. Yeah. And without any, any achievements whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Got a girlfriend, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> Well, I wrote a play. That happened. Did you um, put it on could, or that got it? Produ- Yeah, yeah, no, it got produced. Yeah, like they, um, they actually had actors and everything. People. Yeah, yeah. It was. It wasn't like a huge. It was like you know a forty seat venue, and it was on for two weeks in North Melbourne. That's, that's solid. Um, that's actually interesting too, from a book angle, because it's all about Dracula, and I have never read Dracula. Bold. Have you read it since? 
Uh, no, I always plan to. In fact, if you can see that bookshelf behind me, there's four copies of Dracula on the bookshelf. <laughs> you are criminal. What? Yeah. That's almost like rudely <laughs> not reading it now. That is like well, a statement. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like, I am a white guy, all right? I do not need to read things. I will just appropriate them. <laughs> it does feel like that. Um, I I used to do a podcast for Sandspans called Movie Maintenance where we would fix bad movies um, very arrogantly and sometimes pitch original ones. And I just had like a concept for a Dracula story. Have you read the book? No. Um, it is, yeah. It's funnily enough, that actually book gets recommended because I've got a section of my show where I ask people favorite books and that's been recommended a few times as people's favorite book ever. Bram Stoker's Dracula. There, there was a part of me tempted to pick that book, despite never reading it, because it's been it has been a pretty huge part of my life. For like, I put like a whole year, probably year and a half, into like various Dracula related things, and then I I wrote the play, and then I wrote a novella, which like self published and had it printed and stuff, and sold it at the play and sold it online. And a novella of the play, uh, yeah, sequel to my play. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you've never read the book. I haven't read the book. I told I told the actors that I think on the last dress rehearsal. I was just like, yeah, I haven't read it. Look, I mean, I'm obsessed with buying copies of it. If I see like a, a nice copy out there, I, I grab it. I went, I searched the whole time I was in Romania. I thought I'm in Romania. There's going to be so many copies of Dracula here. I was so excited to go and pick like a really good one. Never, literally never saw a copy. Went to probably 10 different bookshops Went to Castle Dracula, couldn't get a Dracula book. It's crazy. They're just sick of it. They see a white guy come into the bookshop and like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Another playwright who hasn't read the book. <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> I can't believe you wrote a play on it. That's, and then that, that's just out of principle. And you're saying you read books as well. So it's not even like, <laughs> it's so outrageous. <laughs> yeah. I just, I like the character. I think I, I've seen him in various movie adaptations and I just, there's something about the character that I really like. And so I just... My my play was about in the book. Have you seen any adaptations of it? There's probably no, nothing. Okay. Have you never seen a Dracula movie? Maybe Mel, does Mel Brooks have one? Yeah, I haven't seen that one. I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, maybe that one. But yeah, no, I've no, seen no, a lot no. of the old like Hammer horror ones with um, Christopher Lee and Peter um, Peter Cushing and those ones. Those are great. My story um, within the actual novel of Dracula. I'm assuming I haven't read it. Um, there is a section that mentions he travels. Um, from Transylvania to London on a ship. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a captain's log. Everyone on the ship dies sort of thing. Yeah. So I just took that and um, expanded it. Kind of wrote like, kind of like the film Alien, but on a ship and yeah, yeah. Dracula is the alien. Ah. Except in, in my version, Dracula doesn't kill anybody. It's sort of like, a, it was like a story about all the crew, all these men losing their mind Okay, in this claustrophobic setting. And Dracula like... I don't know. I gave him powers. I don't even know if he has. Controls the weather a little bit, brings the fog in, slows the slows the journey, that sort of stuff. And everyone just starts to get all bottled up and go crazy and kill each other. And yeah. And Dracula is just getting revenge on on humanity, really. Because 400 years ago, you know, he had his wife and she was killed by men. And so he hates men and wants to punish them. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty cool, actually, idea in terms of that uh, everyone grouping together and slowly going crazy. Which is kind of like the snow leopard. People are, you know, you're isolated out there in the mountains and it's extreme pressure every day. And yeah, people crack. People are fighting. Yeah. All sorts of things. Well, it does seem like you've got a few instances of isolation and like that kind of, yeah, what that does to people. How broken were you by this day after your success, man? 
<laughs> no, it was still good. It was it was fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, okay, that's cool. That's cool. I'm not judging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does it say about someone like comfort in life? Like the worst day of my life, it was the day after I succeeded in getting to base camp in Nepal. It's like you fuck you. <laughs> that's it is it is quite sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. The life will catch up with you. That's how it uh that's how it always works. Like so you didn't go over season two of twenty one. So, but and then your whole family went. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Yeah, so there's uh, mum and dad, and then um, I've got three siblings. Yeah. Okay. Are you the eldest? No, I'm the third. Hey, same here. Yeah. Nice. So we're not we're not the favourite. We're not the golden child. We're probably more likely to be the black sheep. Really? Is that how it works? I don't know. I think that's how it works. I yeah. just said it was Malcolm in the middle, and I was Malcolm, <laughs> which is a dated reference. But uh, okay, so you, uh, and but the whole family went. Yeah, we all went. Yeah, the six of us. Yeah. Just trying to see if there's anything I can. Pull out of this interesting, but it sounds like it's just a lovely family affair. All of you going away <laughs> and traveling and having a nice time. Well, no, again, I mean, that's people in confined space. We were, you know, drove around in a car in confined spaces. And, you know, when you, you just fight with your siblings, everyone cracks the shits. Yeah, that's pretty standard, actually. <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah, you're always going to be crawling all over each other. Did you, <laughs> so did you read, do much reading while you were there? So, okay, you've claimed that you read a lot. Oh, I don't read a lot. Did I say that at the start? You kind of I said did. I like, I love books. I think I love the idea of books. I've bought a lot of books. Um, I'm one of those people who I, I don't feel bad about buying books because I think it's, it's a fine thing to spend money on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I need to read more. I don't read enough. It annoys me. That's all right. I mean, no, 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 yeah, it's it's harder than doing other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the thing is, you, it, when you're reading something like Marcus Aurelius, like that's pretty intense philosophy sort of stuff. It's not really story based, though. I think it just got shoved in my face. It's it's the you know I brought two books with me, and my friend brought probably one book with him, and that was the one book that he brought with him. And he was like, "Here, give this a go." And I was like, "All right, cool." No, I read right. it. And, yeah, another one I read on the trip was Seven Years in Tibet. Okay, I know that's with a that? movie with Brad Pitt. That's apparently yes, very he's good. Got a terrible, oh, terrible really? accent. But I really like the film. But again, I think it's because I read it while I was. Uh, I mean, that's Tibet. So I was, I was nearly there in the country. I was in that same part of the world. Um, yeah, some random guy just gave that book to me. Really? Yeah, we we're in like a, a lodge at the same time, and he'd finished reading it and said, "This is cool. Here you go." He didn't want to carry it anymore. This is half the thing. These people who track, they don't want to carry any weight, so they finish a book and they're like, "Yeah, take it." Yeah, no, that happens a lot in hostels and stuff. Actually, all around the world, I found yeah. there's always like a healthy exchange of that going on. But I, I, I couldn't bring myself to give away the snow leopard. Even I'd finished reading it, but I was like, "I, I need to keep this book." Yeah, it meant that much. Yeah. You finished a book. <laughs> <laughs> no, because like it's funny you saying that about the reading the book because I definitely did that a little bit when I was traveling, trying to keep up. Like you're saying, you like uh, World War Two. Uh, when I did a trip, I was actually in Russia, so I started reading up on uh, Stalin and a few things from. So it made me super interested in World War Two. We could talk about that for very long. Let me tell you, I have uh, <laughs> some strong, passionate views on that. If, do you ever listen to Hardcore History, the podcast? Yeah, I've listened to a few. Yeah, best podcast on the planet by far. Right? I really like it. It's for me. It's like books. I need to get more into that one as well. He's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he's so. That's good. I. I have a thing where podcasts that go for too long over an hour, I'm just like, what are you doing? This isn't the, this isn't my ideal format for these. But yeah, his ones they're like these four hour chunks. Oh yeah, his is fine. Heaven. I'm okay with him going for as long as he wants because it's just awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, that's oh yeah, and no, I love it. I've 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 listened to it several times. He's got one on World War One, and then he's got a the Eastern Front of World War Two, which is super fascinating. 
because mm-hmm. it doesn't get talked about as much as people. But we got I, off on a tangent. I don't go into World War. <laughs> just just knowledge. on that though, on on hardcore history, I was listening to one. I can't remember what it was. It must have been Vietnam or something. And he was talking about how there was a soldier who was like so deep undercover there that he wouldn't believe that the war had ended. That's Japan after World War Two. That's Japan. That's yeah, the yeah. one. This Japanese soldier, and they're like. He he thinks that the newspapers are just being faked to yeah, trick yeah. him and stuff like that. I found that so fascinating. He was on an island until oh no, I just got asked this the other day. I'm pretty sure it was the 80s. Mm. So the 70s or the 80s after World War II, he was on an island, just yeah. staying there, thinking the war was still going on, and he would still occasionally actually go down and kill people um, on this little island in the Pacific that no one lived in anymore. He just lived in the jungle; no one could get him. It's incredible. Yeah, my my. My first thought when I hear is like, oh, they should make a movie. But it's like, no, I don't know what the movie for that would be. Like some some things are just like you can't make a movie out of them. That's just straight away. You thought with everything, eh? Go straight to movies. Well, yeah, that's how my mind works. Um, actually, I got a fun fact about Snow Leopard. Okay. For, for a very brief time, I was going to be writing the screenplay for it. What do you mean the screenplay for it? So I went to uni um, with this woman. She was a fair bit older than the rest of us. Um, she was like really switched on in the business world. I don't know. She was a bit of a mystery. We didn't know much about her. But we came back to uni at one point to do an assessment or something and I was out in the waiting room and I think I was reading my copy of The Snow Leopard and she commented on it, struck up a conversation and it turns out she, her company had just optioned the film rights for the novel, which just seemed so bizarre. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> That's such a small world. This is ridiculous. That's wild. Yeah, so she... And um, yeah, and she was basically wanted me to start thinking about how I would tackle it as a screenplay. And so I put probably like a couple of weeks. I uh, was trying to wrap my head around how to adapt it. It's a pretty tricky thing to to adapt. It's certainly not a Hollywood. I mean, in the Hollywood version, he would find the snow leopard at the end, for instance. You know what I mean? That would be the studio notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I got really excited about the prospect of doing that. It just seemed like so bizarre. It didn't feel real. Um, spent a few weeks and then it sort of just like fizzled away mm. and then I stopped hearing back from her and then I think I saw her a year later and she just basically was like, oh, yeah, we gave up the option. She's just like, we, I don't think she'd read the book because then she went, yeah, we looked into it and it's like, we don't want to go up into the – we didn't want to be out in the wild for a year making this movie. No, thanks. And I was like, ah, fuck, it would have been so good. It's a near miss. Yeah, I know. You probably don't need that much. It's two people up in the mountains and then some memories of <laughs> – yeah. A normal life. So, yeah. yeah, dealing with like the loss like that, which. So, yeah. I got to say, George, that's another disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, this sounds like the most privileged list of disappointments, <laughs> but I feel you. Honestly, yeah, yeah. you know what? Let's go. Let's, let's up. I, this is my thing as well, but it's like one of the difficulties I had growing up was having that feeling um, where you would look at friends who've gone through something really hard, and I'm like, man, I haven't gone through anything that hard. Yeah. In my life. Like, it's starting to catch up now. You get past 30, shit starts uh, piling up. But especially when I was younger, I was like, yeah, like no deaths or anything like that. Or, um, yeah, any sort of serious, like, quotation mark sort of thing happened to me growing up, which sounds like you're kind of in the same position. No, it was. I remember, like, when I was in high school, I had sort of, like, my three best mates. And all of them had, like, a broken family. Like, all of them, their dad had left or something like that. And it, I always just felt like the odd one out. And it feels so weird to be, I guess, a little bitter about feeling different when I have nothing to complain about at all. Like it was just such a, it was a really weird feeling. But yeah, I haven't had, I mean, if I think about it, I've had a good life. <laughs> I've had a an easy time, certainly compared to a lot of people. But yeah, definitely, um, 
I get what you mean when you get older, like especially in the last 12 months, like I've had, we've, we've had like a, like a tragedy in the family type stuff, um, which, yeah, it knocks you out a bit, definitely. So, yeah, st- starting to catch up to me a little bit, I guess, which is uh, it, that's yeah. the way life works. Yeah, I think it's okay when it's a bit later on. But I, I, I've got to ask with that, what you've just said there, about feeling a bit bitter about not having a broken family. Because, <laughs> again, I know exactly what you're talking about when you say that. <laughs> I really do in terms of like yeah. you're looking at the just like even people getting angry or acting in certain ways. And you're like, you're almost like, oh, they can do that because they've gone through that. But, yep. Um, yep. you know, I haven't done oh, wish I had a dad left and I could crack it about this stuff. <laughs> When I did when I did movie maintenance, often I would get excited about a subplot in a movie that had like a distant father character, and it became like a bit of a running gag. It was like any time a story had a distant dad, it was like, oh, Carney's really into this sort of thing. And I had to like constantly qualify it with, in my own life, everything's great with my dad. Like <laughs> we get along super well. Like it was just, it feels like this weird thing. Like I don't know, characters. I can't relate to a lot of characters in movies because I just have had a pretty good run for the most part. And it's it's the weirdest thing to feel weird about because so many people will listen to this and be like, you piece of shit. Which is totally fair. I get that. Like I don't know. It's a weird it's a it's a weird life. <laughs> <laughs> but but then you still get caught up on distant dads for some reason. I don't know why. That's a real... If I see that in a movie or a book, I'm like, fuck yeah, this is my jam. And I don't know why it is my jam because it's not it's not my life. That's obviously just me being like, in the weirdest way possible, ah, oh, I wish I had some... Like, no, but it's not even that. Like, that's bizarre to think that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, you, <laughs> It's so weird. Uh, yeah, a little bit. But so... Like, I watch a lot of movies. So many movies have that, which implies to me that so many filmmakers, so many screenwriters have broken down relationships in their life. And so it is like as someone who's trying to be a writer myself, it's such a weird thing trying to find what your thing is that you're going to write about. Because half the time you'll write something and you just, if you haven't experienced it, this is why people go write what you know, because it's hard. Otherwise you're just sort of basing it on what you've read in books or what you've seen in movies. Yeah, it's going to be lacking that element of truth that you want to it. Yeah. So you're <laughs> – this is sounding worse and worse. I've got to be honest. Yeah, it's <laughs> terrible. Is... It's terrible. We should we should rewind like 30 minutes. <laughs> so your craft, you're saying you, you even for the sake of your, – you're, you're finding new reasons to be like, I wish I had a broken home because <laughs> my art could benefit from it. Well, I don't know. It's not something I voice, although I have here. But it's just because you're probing me with these questions. Just, it's just it's, it's something that plays on my mind. It's like I, I watch a movie and I'm like, oh man, yeah. I, I think about that. I'm like, oh, I wonder what that writer's been through. Oh, really? Stuff like that. Because yeah, like I, I mean, I whenever I write, I try not to write. Ugh, I tend to write like big adventures, big journeys. Mm-hmm. I, I try to. I would. My goal would be for someone to read my work. And not be like, oh, that's that's from his life. That's from his life. Like picking out every little moment. I've read work from writers where I go, oh, that's really like autobiographical. And I I generally steer away from that. You don't want that. No, I don't really. Or at least want to that. be obvious. No. Yeah, you don't want it to be obvious. I think when you write characters, there's always like just put little bits of yourself in everything. Mm. But it's never. I I never want it to be like. I never want to 
sit down and write something and just instead of calling the character Sean, his name's Shane and he's just like exactly like me sort of thing. I don't think I'm ever going to write anything like that. Well, to be honest, it might not be the most exciting story but what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah. It might be really depressing and filled with utter sadness and zero life goals. <laughs> the last five years. No, but that's a the funny thing is you, you have the opportunity to kind of like you, you're getting pushed to look outside of that autobiographical nature anyway, which can mean you can expand into other interesting avenues. But here's something I've just thought of this. Someone like Peter Matheson, right? He goes on this journey and he takes his notebook with him because he, he knows I'm going to write a novel out of this experience. I myself go on a journey and I'm a writer. I don't write. I, I've scribbled down a few notes while I was away, but I don't. I don't journal it. I don't do anything because to me, I'm not writing that story. And that's the only reason you would record it. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just I, I think about. I'm thinking about the snow leopard, and I'm thinking about Matheson, and I'm like, it's. It feels a little alien to me, to go like that's his job, but also that's the job I want. I'd like to be a writer too. So, but I just can't imagine going on like a trek on an adventure and writing everything down verbatim and, and turning that into a novel. I'm I'm always sort of trying to write something that's like escapism, kind of based in reality but not the real world. It's like an escape. You read it and you enjoy the adventure and then you go back to your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the most fun sort of thing to watch on the screen. Yeah. I, I love Lord of the Rings. But uh, the only part of that I find funny though is like you don't – you wouldn't have to – you don't have to turn everything you're doing into a book just because you're writing it down. It could just be a way to like, <laughs> yeah, self-reflection sort of thing. Yeah, and stuff yeah, like I don't that. Know. Maybe I don't like to self-reflect. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Never needed to, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I got this far. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I am struggling to unpack <laughs> what's going on here. But yeah, it is I feel interesting. Like I've said too much. Yeah, no, because yeah, yeah. Look, it's the curse of. I was going to say the curse of privilege, but I guess that's probably the wrong thing to say. <laughs> but no, I know what you mean about feeling like... Uh, <laughs> but it's probably accurate. I know. Sadly. Like as in the other stories are yeah. more... Even like growing up, you're like, oh, that person's got a more interesting thing going on. And you're just kind of sitting there without that sort of side of... Yeah. Well, it's... Yeah, it's... Oh. <laughs> I shouldn't try and explain this any further. I just sound terrible. It's not that like the friends growing up who had problems. It's not like, oh, damn, wish I had one of them. It's just you feel different even though you're in a you know better what position. society would say a better situation right and it's just, it's i don't know it's just a bizarre feeling so you've got that feeling of different but also guilty because you're a piece of shit for thinking that and yeah it's, it's just this weird combination of things yeah no that's uh, <sighs> i i get i i can understand where you're coming from that's uh yeah it's like not only do I feel not only am I an outcast, but now I feel guilty about it too. What the fuck? <laughs> this is so unfair. <laughs> I'm gonna go climb Nepal. <laughs> I'm gonna go to base camp. I'm trying to think of the lesson I take away from the snow leopard, and I think it's just to, um, well, probably not get so hung up on what your goals are that it's to the detriment of what you're sort of currently doing. If that makes sense. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, that's his journey in it. It sounds like what it is, the classic thing. It's like, yeah, you think you want one thing, but really you just want to come to accept yourself. Yeah. I mean, with him, it's, I, I must see the snow leopard. He's so driven by that. But what it really is, is I must accept the death of my wife and, and be able to move on. That's mm. funny you're saying that because like, yeah, so you read that and you did the Marcus Aurelius one and then you didn't read American Gods, which is the more fantasy escapist one. 
So it sounds like a little part of you's got a bit of a masochistic thrill over the. So, so you find that ending grim, but I. No, I don't find I that don't. grim. I find your attitude and how you've said things grim. <laughs> Him not finding the snow leopard isn't uh, grim at all. No, but that, that's what I love about it. So that's uh, he, what he finds is acceptance. He's able to um, not certainly not. You don't move past when someone dies. So he's not moving past it, but he's able to move along with his life. Whereas he doesn't even realize while he's on this trek that he's just emotionally stunted by the fact that she's died. So he gets to the end of it and the snow leopard just is the symbol of that really. And he he finds out that, no, my life is good. The weird thing about this story is that he's got kids back home as well, like very young kids, which I, I always just found an extra layer of fascinating for him because he's sort of just essentially turned his back on them for over half a year mm. just to go on this quest to find an animal. It's a bizarre thing. That is that is uh, slightly there's less a lot There's a lot happening under the surface yeah, with, this, with this character, as there is with everybody. Yeah. Some of it. You know, they, they don't know that some of it's got, less privileged. Yeah. And, <laughs> and some of us don't realise that we're going through stuff. <laughs> we think we're fine. <laughs> so did you do any, like, I'm just wondering, did you do any other travel books? The only ones you'd recommend with the travel stuff? I mean, anything by, like I mentioned John Krakow before, anything by him is great. Into Thin Air is, it's the, the, the one I mentioned, the account of the tragedy on Everest. Um, geez, I'm reading a lot of dark stuff, George. Bloody hell. Uh, <laughs> but it's brilliant. It's, it's, it's brilliant writing. <laughs> um, it's brilliant writing and it's, it's one of those books that he has such a brilliant ability to make you feel like you can't breathe when you're reading. All right. Which is, which is incredible, I think. Because, I mean, half the time I'll read something and I, you just sort of go through the motions sometimes if it's not particularly compelling. Mm. But, but certainly with Into Thin Air, it's he puts you right there in that place. And, yeah, it's, it's – I really credit any writer who's, who's telling an event that's already happened, but he makes you, like, just sick and so ex- – like, I, you're exhausted when you read that book. Yeah. I think that's what you want. I want to finish a book and have a very real reaction to it. You don't want to just like I've read books where you get to the end, you close it and you go, all right. And then you forget it within a few days, you know, mm. whereas some books stick with you for a long time. You want to put it down and like sigh. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Ooh. Or cry or just be like, fucking hell. Yeah. And so you got that with John Cracker. Yeah, he's great. Um, any other travel ones? I don't know. Probably heaps that I bought and haven't read. Yeah. That's um, the other theme of it. <laughs> But that's all right. Into thin air. That's cool. I'll read a, a, a Cracker or a Matheson, which is serious and grim. And then I'll, I've read like Carl Pilkington and Idiot Abroad and stuff like that. Also great. <laughs> no, yeah, it's great. I'll read any genre. If I Can I tell you, the book I was going to pick before I settled on Snow Leopard, mm-hmm. uh, The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Have you read that? Yeah. Beautiful book. It is beautiful. I don't know if that says anything more about me. How playful memory can be with your childhood. I don't know. Uh, look, I, I'm not here to I'm not here to analyze in terms of coming up with solutions. I'm just here to have a chat and hear what you say. We might have to save it for another time. I think we we're getting towards the hour now, so we probably want to coil it off. Thanks very much for being on. Uh, do you feel like you've got any fresh perspectives on the snow leopard and yourself? Um, yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> and none of them are good. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect show success. <laughs> All right, I feel like I've. Come away from this, and oh boy, I've got to. I think I got to set some new goals, George. I think. Look, that's honestly what I'm hearing. I don't know if you're still with yeah. your girlfriend now. Maybe uh, start planning to pop no, a no. question. <laughs> All right, we can end it now. <laughs> All right, no worries. Uh, thanks a lot for being on. Thanks for having me, mate. Appreciate Cheers. it. 
Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com.